0: Hello. This is Rebecca Adio and Maggie Bacella,
1: and this is Does It Get the Pass,
0: a podcast where we arbitrarily decide whether rom-coms get the pass.
1: This week, we are starting part one of two Shakespeare-centric episodes, seeing that the Bard was a huge pioneer in romantic comedy kind of as we know it today, maybe even inventing the genre. I would certainly say so. So this week we are discussing two different film adaptations of Much Ado About Nothing. The first is the 1993 adaptation directed by Kenneth Branagh and starring Kenneth Branagh himself as Benedict and Emma Thompson, who was his then wife, as Beatrice. And then the other production we are discussing is the 2012 one, um, directed by Joss Whedon, who is an enemy of the pod, actually, um, (laughs) and starring Alexis Denisoff as Benedict and Amy Acker as Beatrice.
0: So we are going to, I'm going to choose to forego the traditional letterbox summary because we are talking about a Shakespeare play, but essentially all you need to know about Much Ado About Nothing is that it it is about two core couples, Beatrice and Benedict, who are what I would casually call enemies to lovers, for lack of a better term, and Claudio and Hero, who fall in love with each other, very love at first sight. Shit goes down, things happen, it's what would be, I guess, classed in academic circles as a farce, not so much a rom-com, but, you know, to borrow from the 93 uh, Much Ado About Nothing summary, uh, just meddling lots and lots of meddling in each other's love lives um and i think trying to distill everything that happens in much ado down to a summary kind of would reduce what is probably his best script his tightest script to i don't want to reduce it in the way that we usually do with letterbox and like come on if you didn't learn about shakespeare in high school english class you shouldn't be listening to this podcast so (laughs)
1: Yeah, un- unfortunately, especially for me, Shakespeare is the foundation for everything that I know and love. Like I can't analyze anything or watch anything without thinking, okay, the the roots of this kind of character or this kind of dynamic are in Shakespeare. Or, um, or as my recent dis- obsession is, it's medieval literature, where Shakespeare did get a lot of inspiration from. I love Much Ado About Nothing as a comedy text, if only because it is so original. It's not based on any prior text that we know of. Um, if you know anything about Shakespeare, you know that he's using a lot of historical texts and mythological texts and like things that were happening in England or Europe at the time or s- shortly before. So he is not someone who writes quote unquote original work. Like that's just not who he is. He's an adapter, but much about much ado about nothing is almost entirely original. Like, yes, we've seen these kinds of characters and tropes before, but not this kind of story before. And I think that that's what makes this so tight, so special and arguably his best comedy, if not his best play. Although I am a Hamlet girly. So (laughs) yeah, Um, I think that Hamlet and Much Ado is when Shakespeare's at the top of his game.
0: Yeah. And Much Ado About Nothing is absolutely my favorite Shakespeare play. You know, I am, unlike Rebecca, I'm very partial to his comedies, This and Midsummer Night's Dream, which we will be discussing in part two of our Shakespeare talk. Uh, Those two are my favorite. I, probably because of my love of rom-coms, But we wanted to bring these two adaptations specifically to the board because both of them are direct adaptations of the original text. There is no changing of the narrative. There's no updating it. They are using the text that is performed by, uh, you know, by theater companies worldwide, by the Globe, by the National Theater, by all these different kinds of places. So it is the direct text, but the difference being that the Branagh version is... I guess, for lack of a better word, a period piece. It's not setting it in the Italy that Shakespeare would have been writing about. He's setting it in probably, I would say, 17th, 18th century. Um, Maybe 19th, I'm not sure. I couldn't tell based on the costumes. Whereas the Whedon, Much Ado, is setting it literally in his fucking backyard in Santa Monica in 2012. So it's the same text, but two very different settings. And that's something that I think anytime anyone talks about Shakespeare, uh, they they bring up, they want to talk about how can we adapt this text and these characters to different situations. I've been talking to Rebecca very specifically about an idea I have for a staging of Much Ado About Nothing and where you could put those characters in in time, in place, and still work with the original text without it being an adaptation like something to say maybe Clueless or or 10 Things I Hate About You, which are adaptations of a source material, but they're changing it for a modern day. And it really says something, because usually I adore when somebody takes a Shakespeare text or any kind of classic text and updates it and puts it in the modern world and, and recontextualizes it in that way. Um, I, had, I had none of that love. For this much to do about nothing, I think Rebecca and I can uh, both agree that this was. And I maybe I'm being a little a little mean here because of my, my I don't stance think on Joss are. Joss Whedon. It is the worst Shakespeare adaptation I think I've ever seen, and I've seen some shit in my life it, through like high school and college English. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I honestly, I don't think you're being mean. Um, I watched it for the first time earlier this year Um, as part of this thing where I was trying to watch a bunch of Shakespeare adaptations Um, in January. And I'm going to be honest, there's only two things I like about it. One, I love Clark Gregg as Leonardo, who plays his um, yes. father. And I, I think it's a shame that he was squandered on such a bad fucking movie. Because yeah. I think he's actually a decent actor. And then the second thing I like... Joss Whedon, and this is the only time you will ever hear me say a good thing about Joss Whedon, he split up the scene, Um, the that's usually the party scene, and I believe it's act two, where all of the friends are conspiring to set up Benedict and Beatrice. It usually happens at the party, but Joss Whedon sets it the morning after the party, mm-hmm. when everyone's kind of like coming to their senses and having breakfast around the uh, kitchen island think that is so fucking good and that the thing is that's only the kind of thing you can do in a film adaptation you cannot really carry that into a theater adaptation mm-hmm. um so that's the one thing i do like about it but i think that my review is much meaner than anything maggie could ever say about this <laughs> in the opening and i just, I pulled out my letterbox so i could read it and the opening lines of it were how so many people like this adaptation is proof to me that shakespeare education in this country is garbage um Like Curzel's Macbeth, Whedon's Much Ado is lifeless and soulless. This play is notably hilarious, and Whedon and his cast strip all of that away in this quote-unquote Shakespeare in the Backyard production. Thompson and Brannell use the same exact language as Acker and Denisoff, and yet the latter have zero heart or energy in their banter. I have no idea what the black and white is supposed to do for the story, and I feel like this setting could have been accomplished much better in an old-money New England setting, and the flat deliveries make zero use of the blah blah. And I just go on and on and on, basically ranting about how much I hate this movie, because I don't mind historical adaptation. Ugh, no, I don't mind modern adaptations. I just hate that... When you do a modern adaptation, you tend to lose a lot of the historical weight and importance of some of the the text. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm always going to be just a little bit harsher on a modern adaptation. But I do think that Whedon's is like the antithesis of what you should be doing when you adapt Shakespeare.
0: I, from what I read about this, this adaptation he made it while he was making the first Avengers film. And I don't know, yes. I, could, I couldn't find out whether that was when he was shooting that film or when he was in the edit. I'm assuming it was like while he was in the edit because they shot it in, I believe, if I read correctly, 12 days. Um, And it shows. And I think primarily to your point about the black and white, because this is a black and white adaptation with the worst black and white cinematography I've ever seen. I think that was to disguise the fact that they did shoot that at, like, they actually shot it, it at Whedon's Santa Monica house, so, like, where he lived. I think the black and white was to disguise the fact that it was shot that way, shot very low budget, to make it look a little nicer, and I think part of the reason people like it is, one, it came out the same year as the Avengers. It came out, I think, at, like, Sundance or something, or or TIFF or yes. one of those festivals. It came out the same year as Avengers, so he was really, you know, he was in, he was a big name in pop culture at the time. He was in his era. He was, was, yeah. And it was prior to all of the heinous, heinous things people have, have revealed about him. But also, it's filled with a cast of his friends. You know, it's got Nathan Fillion, it's got the other motherfucker from Firefly, it's got Clark Gregg, who was in, very notably, in Avengers, I believe- Uh, the two, I can't even remember their names, the two that played Beatrice and Benedict, I believe they were in projects of his in the past. Uh, Ricky Lindholm, I know, worked with him in the past. So it was pretty much him just calling up his friends saying, hey, do you want to take this? Do you want to make this movie? And apparently it had been a passion project of his, but nowhere in this text is there, or in this adaptation of this text, is there any passion? It really does genuinely feel like he threw it together. And when you're working with Shakespeare, you could be you could be Kenneth Branagh. You could be the greatest Shakespeare scholar in the world. You need to take your time and sit down and analyze a text, whether it's a drama, whether it's a comedy, whether it's a history. Sit down, analyze that text, ask, what is your version of this going to say? How is what you are doing specifically to this text and to these characters going to inform how your actors say the lines? Because obviously this is the same text that people have been using for hundreds of years. How is your version going to be different? How is what you are doing to the setting, to whatever, going to make those themes stand out. And it almost feels like the actual text itself, like the actual dialogue, was an afterthought, and he was just interested in the plot. And in that case, it's like, well, then just adapt it, like you, you know, like Clueless or Ten Things, you know, in, in that case. Because, and and maybe I had some, I, I was just so full of apathy about it, because no one had any chemistry. Like, Beatrice and Benedict had no chemistry. Hero and Claudio had no chemistry. Also, the guy who played Claudio, whose name is escaping me at the moment, I could not take him seriously the entire film, because one, Claudio's a punk bitch. I've never liked Claudio as a character. But two, he was in a really shit vampire film with Pedro Pascal that is also notoriously terrible, and I could not get that out of my head the entire movie. But anyway, nobody had any chemistry. Clark Gregg is carrying the entire movie. So it was just like... You put no thought into this, no heart into this. And you, like you said in your letterbox review, made one of his tightest scripts feel dry and flat and boring. And I believe I said in my letterbox review, it takes a real schmuck to reduce one of his greatest scripts to something that feels like a slog to get through. It's unsurprising that Joss Whedon is that schmuck.
1: Yeah, no, that's so true. And I think it's funny that you say that this is a passion project because I first came across this um, adaptation when I was an undergrad and we were, and I was reading Much Ado About Nothing for the first time. We would watch a lot of clips from uh, various adaptations of the play we were reading for those two weeks. And I remember watching this one and being like, Oh, it's bad. And I remember being very excited at the time. Like, oh, my God, I had no idea Joss Whedon um, directed a Shakespeare anything. And so I was I was over the moon to find out about it. And then, like, I just never got around to watching it because I was like, even just based on the one clip, which was from the party, which is my favorite scene from Much Ado About Nothing, the party. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know. I don't feel it. I don't feel any of the energy. And like, I'm not going to lie. Much Ado About Nothing is a horny play. Like oh, it's a horny yeah. play, yeah, and it's so unerotic. It is, and they have sex in it too. Like there's a flashback of Benedict and Beatrice having sex in it. I believe,
0: and there's the the like the obviously where they're where where Don John is tricking Claudio into thinking that Hero's been unfaithful. It's like the who, one of his minions and Margaret, oh, yeah, who's yeah, played by. Uh, Ashley Johnson of The Last of Us fame, which fucking jump scared the shit out of me. Like, that's supposed to be sexy. Like, it's supposed to be obviously horrifying for Claudia, but that's supposed to be sexy. And it was just like, one, how do you do Ashley fucking Johnson that wrong? Like, she's, you could give her, you know, the fucking phone book and she would do an incredible job. But like, (laughs) yeah, this is a horny play and this is the most sexless version of a Shakespeare play I've ever seen. Yeah, and
1: I, I honestly it makes me mad because the Branagh one is so horny and it's it is so, so sexy. sexy and they don't even have sex in it. But there is tits and ass in the first three minutes. <laughs> so I, I forgot about that. <laughs> there's so much tits and there's so much ass in that movie and nobody is wearing a bra. Um, so it's like much ado about every bisexual's nightmare, which is what I call it. Um so you call uh, it in your letterbox review. Trying- Yes, and I'm like, if you're attracted to men and women, how do you stand this movie? Because I would be dead. Um, but again, about the Joss Whedon thing, he apparently, at the time maybe, had a um, Shakespeare reading group with a bunch of other actors and people in Hollywood, and that's where this production came from, or so I was told in my undergrad class. That's strange. Um And it feels very much like they just got together in, in his backyard and just filmed themselves like doing the script with minimal blocking yeah. i have to say the scene that makes me cringe like the absolute fucking most is when um benedict has just quote unquote realized that beatrice is in love with him after over his um, monologue it's not his monologue. It's when Beatrice comes back out and is like, "I am bid to beckon you to dinner or something." Yeah, something. And he's like, like, that. like pretending to work out. It's so fucking cringy. And I so... much prefer the Kenneth Branagh version where he's like, he's acting like the <laughs> love-struck girl and he's crossing his legs at the fountain and acting like <laughs> throwing his like non-existent like pearls back and like acting like you know he's so love-struck because I believe it when Kenneth Branagh says. I love Beatrice, and I will fall in love with her horribly. I believe it when Emma Thompson says, I believe it most reportingly," which is my favorite line from the play. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. The Whedon version is just so soulless, and it doesn't give grandiose to those moments.
0: Yeah, I I think to give Kenneth Branagh credit where credit is due, I mean, one, he is known for Shakespeare adaptations. He also did a Hamlet, didn't he? He did a Hamlet that I hate, but... Yeah. okay but to my point he's he's done a number of shakespeare shakespeare plays shakespeare adaptations whatever you want to call them in the past and the thing about his benedict that nails on the head why i like benedict benedict is not a fuckboy. boy alexis denisov's benedict comes off like a fuckboy. boy no benedict's just a little stupid like he's just he's on the, the spectrum from fuckboy to himbo, he leans much more himbo. That is the weirdest thing I've ever said about a Shakespeare character ever. <laughs> but, like, he's just kind of... He's, he's proud, but he's not mean. He's not antagonistic, and he's not, like... E- I don't know. He he he's like you said, when he's when Beatrice, you know, beckons him into dinner or whatever the hell that line is, like he's being over-dramatic about it because he is over-dramatic, and now he gets to put the full weight of that into his love for Beatrice. And so I think playing him as silly, because again, this is a farce. So playing those moments as silly and over-dramatic and fun is what makes their chemistry so worth watching. When it gets a little silly, I mean, because really the setup to get them to fall in love is that Don Pedro and Leonardo and Hero and Margaret and Ursula have all said, we're going to talk really loudly while they think they're hiding to be like, Benedict's in love with Beatrice and vice versa. And then they just fucking believe it with like no corroboration. It's so silly and it's meant to be silly. And so for them to play that moment afterwards like that. Make, it, it's it's a culmination of how ridiculous those two scenes were in the lead up and but it works because they have chemistry and i think another thing about the the whedon much ado is that alexis denisov and amy acker have no like like i said no chemistry but i also don't believe over any course of the film that they like i don't know i don't believe them as the characters in general because like i said alexis denisov's benedict is a fuckboy. boy and amy acker just isn't doing anything as beatrice she's not snarky she's here's here's a good comparison she's like the one football player in your high school musical that got cast because they needed guys and puts in exactly two percent effort at the audition but they're so desperate that they give him the lead anyway that's what she's doing here she has no barely any intonation barely any interest in being in the scenes especially when she's with alexis Denisov. she's fun when she's with clark Gregg, but i think that's just him you know elevating everybody in the room because i think of everybody he and nathan fillion are probably the only two that have the the chops to be in a shakespeare but unfortunately nathan fillion is doing the same fucking character he always plays which is just whatever the fuck his character's name was in Firefly. He's never done anything different his entire career, which ruins my favorite bit of Much Ado, aside from Benedict and Beatrice, which is the Idiot Watchmen. Because the Idiot Watchmen are just... You you question why they're here, but you're like, I don't know why you're here, but I'm having a good time. And in the Branagh one, it's Michael Keaton doing something. I don't know what it is,
1: but it's fun. (laughs) So I actually wrote a paper about what um, Dogberry, which is the Keaton Fillian character in Much Ado, I wrote about what he's doing because I was like, okay, this is very clearly a camp performance. It's using both uh, Keaton's character in Beetlejuice and um, some it's of the stylistic yeah. elements. Yeah, Beetlejuice. And some of the stylistic elements of Monty Python and the Holy Grail where they're clacking the yes. coconuts together for the horses. And I wrote a whole play, like a, not play, ha ha, I wish oh, I wrote a whole paper about this and I'm like, it needs to be so absurd and over the top and camp that it calls your attention to every single word they're saying, because the most important line, the end of that entire farcical ridiculous scene is to watch heroes window. And that's how, um, the watchmen find out that, um, Don John and his cronies have been planting, you know, false like misleading things about heroes virginity like and they are the ones that figure it out and so without calling attention to this really a ridiculous scene with, by using the most camp language and acting and whatever then you you forget that scene even happens and you forget why you know the watchmen need to be in this in the play but anyways i i just i really hate the Whedon version, like you said Amy Acker does not want to be there, whereas Emma Thompson, I'm like, even if she didn't Mm. want to be there, I know everyone had the time of their life filming that movie because they're in a villa in the Italian countryside. And it's so gorgeous. Like, how can you not love the place you're in? And I think that having fun on set makes for just a better movie and better chemistry, in my opinion, too. Like, I, I I. it's weird because they're both kind of filmed in a similar similar location like mm-hmm. in the backyard of one person's house. Yeah. Like but the the modern take on it it just it feels like it's too rooted in realism for it to be believable. And I think that much to do about nothing is at its core a fantasy even though yeah. Midsummer Night's Dream is very clearly a fantasy because it has the fae and spiritual elements to it. I think that Much to Do About Nothing is also a fantasy. It's a fantasy about romance, about family, about marriage, yeah. about like what it's how you create those bonds i don't know
0: yeah and i think you need a certain amount of grandeur when you're when you're adapting this because it's the the entire play starts when don pedro and don john come with the army to stay with leonardo and don pedro is a prince you know princes don't stay at somebody's shack you know, in the 93 version and the Branagh version, they have this massive Italian villa that he deem- that Don Pedro deems acceptable because, you know, it can house all of these people. And he believes that Leonardo has enough standing for him-, for him to stay there for an entire month. And I think that's one of the aspects of Much Ado, that when you adapt it for a modern setting, you kind of lose it. Because I was talking to Rebecca about this, about coming up with... If you were to do a modern version on stage, well, like, well, how would you adapt the soldiers? Because it doesn't really make sense. And, like, you don't want to do cops because, like, that makes it weird. Like, there's weird kind of connotations there. I believe in the in the Whedon one, it's like Don Pedro's now, like, the president or some famous politician or something like that. And it yeah, doesn't translate really well. But, yeah, l- but back to my point. You need a certain amount of grandeur because of the sort of nature of Don Pedro and the the army kind of coming to stay. So like a, any adaptation of this, you need something that's going to be that, that's going to have a lot of that opulence. And if nothing else, Branagh understands that this movie needs to be over the fucking top. Like the party scene you were talking about is one of my favorite scenes in any kind of period drama ever because it's this masquerade ball thing in the back in... "Quote unquote," the backyard, like in there, in their sort of uh, veranda or whatever. And there's music, there's dancing, there's like fire jugglers, there's all these kinds of people, and they're running around. And there's constantly music through that entire scene. And you get to the party at uh, in the Whedon one, and it's like somebody's backyard barbecue. And I'm like, again, n- the grand gestures in this film, in this adaptation, in this play, whatever, don't mean anything. If you don't have the rest of the context to accompany it, you know, with the rest of the grandeur, the rest of the opulence to accompany it. Because the things that Beatrice and Benedict do for each other, specifically Benedict, do for each other are fucking insane. Like, when Claudio rejects Hero at the altar and says, you know, like, maligns her for being a whore or whatever the hell his dumbass thing she did, uh, like, Benedict... Benedict is the only member of the army, or of Don Pedro's party, to stay with Beatrice and Hero and Leonardo. And later, when he admits that he's in love with Beatrice, he asks, you know, what, what can I do for you to prove my love? And she says, kill Claudio. And he argues with her at first, but then eventually says, I will help you. That is a big fucking thing for him to say, I will help you and go against my kinsmen, go against the army that I am a part of. And... I don't think Whedon understands that. I don't think Whedon understands how much Benedict was willing to sacrifice for Beatrice because he was in love with her. Like, I think he just thinks, oh, ha funny. You know, I think his understanding of it is surface level at best. And I'm sure a lot of the problems I have with it are the fact that he shot it in 12 days without a, with a $4 budget with all of his friends, but it's like... Again, you have to have an understanding of a a Shakespeare text to work with it, because there have been a lot of Shakespeare adaptations over the years. There have been many, 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 because when we were looking to do this episode, I looked up the Wikipedia page so we could pick one, and it was six miles long. So you have to do something to stand out, and I think that's the reason the Branagh one sticks as much as it does in everybody's minds, is because Branagh knows Shakespeare... He understands it even if it is a somewhat vain effort to, you know, direct the movie and then cast yourself and your then wife as the two leads. I mean, I fucking respect it though. <laughs> yeah, I re- it's if respect It's respect that
1: I'm not mad. Like, I, if you've got the chemistry, you've got the chemistry, man. Yeah, and it's just like This is and so the Whedon version is the reason why I think that modern adaptations will ultimately fail no matter what you do unless you're like completely like reimagining it like Ten Things or Clueless. It's because I've always gotten the sense that Benedict and Beatrice were not just like lovers; they like had like feelings for each other. I have a feeling that they were actually intended to marry each other, and then Benedict did something stupid because he's a man unfortunately um (laughs) or beatrice didn't want to marry him anymore she got nervous because i think that they are very very hesitant about their love and about not being accepted by other
0: people yeah because she says um like i gave that whole lot i i can't remember any of the damn direct quotes because shakespeare and i have four brain cells but the one where she says i gave him my heart at one point and like a double heart for his single one that one yeah so so they clearly have history there's it's implied that they have history so i think your reading of it is absolutely correct
1: yeah and i think that in the weed inversion they just make it that they were like what fuck buddies in the past up, to benefits, yeah. and that's and maybe there were feelings there and they just never materialized and you know what i think if the the benedict and beatrice had way more <laughs> chemistry then i would be on board with that because that is a modern reading of that that line about the double heart for the single one i think it's an amazing interpretation but it for a modern adaptation or whatever, or even maybe a historical adaptation, you never know. But mm-hmm. it just doesn't work because there's no chemistry, which is why I'm really excited for the Sydney Powell. Uh, oh, that, no, the Sydney.
0: I was like, what playwright is that? Because I got really fucking confused <sighs> in December. I'm so sorry. I've, okay. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> <Sidney> <laughs> because Pirate. I, I Sydney Powell. Sydney Sid- Sweeney Glen Powell is it I can't remember the title of it do you remember the title um horny bitches in Australia that's what I've Something, been calling yeah. it I don't know. but anyway it's coming out at Christmas time I forgot that that was a much ado adaptation yes! and oh my god if you know me and you know my um my relationship with Top Gun Maverick um that's gonna fuck me up so hard oh god I'm afraid yeah, and it's like, oh
1: my god, at least we'll have like a like 10 things slash clueless equivalent of Much Ado because I've been dying for one of those of Much Ado because I think that those kind of free modern adaptations can actually be better than just doing a modern adaptation with the same language. With text, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm really excited for it and I think it's going to capture a lot of the, I'm not even going to say eroticism, I'm going to say the horniness of Much Ado it's, About yeah. Nothing because- even Benedict and Beatrice, they make like sexual puns and jokes at each other. And you know, I'm I'm glad that the Brana production understands those and knows those only, if only because everyone in that play, not play movie, like understands the play and what the text is doing. And in Whedon's, I just don't think they understand. They're like, oh, we can put sex in this and it will make it sexy. Absolutely not. You can have no sex in a movie and it can still be horny as hell. Um, oh the yeah, the sound of music yeah, is and the I th- number one, <laughs> yeah, like.
0: Uh, yeah, that no, scene. They the dancing and sound of music, yeah, but to <laughs> your point about the cast, I feel like that cast is, like, if you look at the list of people that are in that movie, I, I feel one. like by, yeah, the Branagh on one, by the time that they made that movie, with the exception of Kate Beckinsale, who plays Hero, because that was her first film, like, I think everybody was at a point in their career where they had either done theater or had enough acting experience to really understand and be able to take on the heft of doing a Shakespeare production. Cause let me read you this cast um, aside from Emma Thompson and Kenneth Branagh. You have Robert Sean Leonard of dead poet society and house fame as Claudio Denzel Washington as Don Pedro and Keanu Reeves as Don John, his brother. That is the funniest casting in a Shakespeare film in the world to me. Um, Richard Briers as Leonardo, Imelda Staunton as Margaret, Michael Keaton as Dogberry, uh, Phillida Law as Ursula and Brian blessed as Antonio. All of those people are phenomenally accomplished actors. And it says something about that movie that all of pretty much everybody in that movie, with the exception of um, I believe Richard Bryars, because I believe he passed away, uh, all of those people are still working and they're s- uber fucking famous. So it's like, yeah, you have to pick people with enough experience to do Shakespeare. That's why high schools don't do Shakespeare, because no matter how good your high school actors are, they're not gonna have the life experience and the ability to analyze a text in the way that you have to even just from an actor's perspective like taking your part of the script and breaking that down and saying where do i fit in this very big and very complicated story and what emotions am i trying to convey as this version of the character because there are other versions of much ado that exist that uh, either film stage versions or other films that where benedict and beatrice have an entirely different vibe but they're still working vibes it's just a matter of these actors breaking it down and saying How do I want to play this? And I think that this is I arguably would say this is one of the best Shakespeare films of all time. I don't know if you agree with that, but I don't remember where I put
1: it on my ranking because I do have a top 10 ranking that I made for Blossom because I wrote about this earlier this year. Um, (laughs) But oh, my gosh, let me find it because um, I do have a lot of really strong opinions. I okay. For all disclosure, I am more of a tragedy person, but I did rank it as number six out of the top nine Shakespeare films. Um, And And it's it's the the only only comedy comedy. on this list. Yes, it is the only comedy on this list. So that goes to show that I think like as a trained Shakespearean actor director and scholar like oh I just got my master's in English yeah
0: everybody congratulate Rebecca she's got a <laughs> master's degree now she's the most educated person on this podcast
1: and the most educated to talk about Shakespeare ever actually so um, <laughs> yeah the fact that like I won let a comedy track my um my top Film Shakespeare films is a lot, and the fact that it's this specific version of Much Ado About Nothing by Kenneth Branagh is a sign that this is this is it. Like it is so canonical in my mind that like I don't even really acknowledge other Much Ado's. I don't even really like other stage adaptations of Much Ado because I think that this one is so so good. And I feel like if you put the true marker of a good Shakespeare film is if it's doing something different than the theater. But also I think if you could drop all the same actors onto a stage and they would have the same exact energy. And yes. I think that this is the case. If only because everyone is so highly trained either in theater or in acting in general that they would make it work. And I can see this easily happening and even just a fucking black box theater. Like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that they're amazing. So yeah. yeah. I'm
0: looking at a- other adaptations that that appear on uh, Letterboxd and really- not a ton of them exist. There's the Catherine Tate, David Tennant version that I have yet to watch. Um, I've seen chunks out of. It's good. It's much more... They play that much more as a farce than they do as a romance, um, which, to be fair, is David Tennant and Catherine Tate's whole fucking bit. Like, they're a comedy duo when they're together. There's also a version that was on the BBC in 2005 with fucking Damien Lewis as Benedict and Tom Ellis as Claudio, which I feel like I want to find now just because... I mean, one, I've interviewed Damien Lewis, so I feel like I need to see everything he's in now. But <laughs> yeah, there, so there's, there's also a... Sh-
1: is that the Shakespeare rewritten one with um, Billy Piper as hero?
0: Oh I my can't... God, it is. Holy
1: shit. Okay. I, it's, it's in modern verse. It's in modern verse. Oh, but it's okay. Word for, they translate it into modern verse, like word for word.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that's, a, that's interesting. Well, I, that's hilarious to me because I didn't know Billy Piper really did much TV other than <laughs> Doctor Who in 2005, but like... I need to find that one now. But anyway, my point being, there's a lot of adaptations of Hamlet. There's a lot of adaptations of Macbeth. There aren't a ton of notable much-you-do-about-nothing adaptations. And part of me thinks that it's just because Kenneth Branagh kind of blew everybody out of the water and everybody's like, well, can't touch this one now. Shit. But also, I think people are intimidated by Shakespeare's comedies much more than they are by dramas because I feel like men get big heads about being able to do Shakespeare's dramas really easily. And comedy, you have to have an understanding of human empathy. And I feel like a lot of... People, a lot of film directors specifically are like, eh, maybe not, which is weird because I feel like you could adapt this specific title, this specific uh comedy, really well for modern times, especially with the whole Don John convinces Claudio that hero's cheating on him plotline. Like that, that that's ripe for modern adaptation. And I'm not gonna give any details away. In case I end up writing this, but like I've talked with Rebecca about a version of this that I think is is possible, at least for the stage, maybe not on on film. But I feel like yeah, like this film is so ripe for for rom-com adaptation, which like thank God that the I, I believe it's Will Glock directing the Glenn Powell Sidney Sweeney one. Um I'm I'm excited, like you said, to have a modern sort of equivalent of that in the in the vein of of Ten Things I Hate About You and Clueless. I wonder, in terms of that one if they're going to do Benedict right, not because I don't think Glenn Powell is capable of doing a version of Benedict because I do think he is. I think if he, if it falls somewhere between hangman from top gun Maverick and uh, I can never remember his character's name and set it up, but like between Mr. Set it up, Mr. Set it up (laughs) between those two characters. I feel like he could do a really good job. I just fear because I don't trust comedy writers in Hollywood to make things just not aggressively raunchy. And like, If you're going to do a Rongecom, Much Ado About Nothing is the adaptation to do because it is a horny play. But like I there's a certain level of just like weird sexualization that certain comedy writers do that I don't trust. But I feel like Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney can carry on their own. And also it's set in Australia. So like they have the right idea about the kind of grand uh, setting that this needs to be in because Exactly, because the original text is set in is it Messina, Italy? Somewhere in Italy. Yes. yes. So it's it's like it has to be somewhere in that sense. But I had a question for you, because yes, I please. always every time I think about plays or Shakespeare plays, I'm always thinking about if I were to stage a version of them. So mm-hmm. if you could cast anybody in this, in a version of Machidoba Nothing, who would you cast? Because I have ideas, but no one for Beatrice and Benedict, shockingly. I have ideas. Okay. Sh- Side characters. My number one opinion on
1: Much Ado About Nothing is that a Benedict is only as good as his Beatrice, and a Beatrice is only as good as her Benedict. So you need to cast people that are that have feelings for each other or are married or have been friends for a really long time and can have that banter. Um -hmm. I have been dying to see, um, and I know this is really, really like out of left field, but I really want Ray fine. To be Benedict. Oh, that's interesting. Do it because, well, he does not like this role anymore, but he was in Made in Manhattan, which is one of the oh. OG rom coms. Uh, he was Mr. Made in Manhattan. <laughs> I would like to see Ray Fine as Benedict and Jessica Chastain, who played his wife, um Virgilia, in Coriolanus. I want to see her as his Beatrice. And I think that they can do, like, a much more kind of, like, cool, suave, like, old money New England thing, which is my dream adaptation, actually. I want to do it in old money New England um, with those two. Um, I think that it's a very out-of-left-field choice, but I think that since it would be such a challenge for both of them because they're such, like, drama actors Mm – they have so much experience with Shakespeare that I know they can make it work and I think that they would actually be fantastic in this role it would just be a very different tone I think and I think that's okay I think you can change the tone but keep the heart oh Um, for sure
0: yeah so I I I just I'm obsessed with Ray Fine I'm sorry like he's my no um, it's like I mean he's like the Shakespeare actor to all Shakespeare actors
1: yeah, I mean like when it comes to the contemporary Shakespearean trilogy, it's like Kenneth Branagh is the father, Ray Fine is the son, and Rory Kinnear is the Holy Spirit. Shout out to Livy Scott for <laughs> inventing that. Um, I stand by it and I believe in it so hard. But um, yeah, I, I just I think it would be a very, very different much ado.
0: But you know, yeah, funny New Englanders are kind of like that anyways. But who's to say they can't feel love too? But yeah, that's my idea. I mean, I think that's interesting because I know a lot of people have said that if you're going to cast a Benedict and a Beatrice, they have to, they should be a little older because you've obviously got Claudio and Hero being the sort of younger couple. So I think that's interesting. It, and I want to I say, I'm going to come back to the point that's related to Jessica Chastain. But in my head, for whatever godforsaken reason, um, I thought like if I were to stage this and you're going to like try to punch me through the screen, I've always wanted like Paul McGann to do Leonardo. He's got like the voice for it. Um, oh, no, he, he has it. He, he does, and it. he's done Shakespeare. He's done shit at the Globe. If you're not familiar with who Paul McGinn is, because you're not one of like six people who've seen the Doctor Who TV movie, he was one of the Doctors in Doctor Who. But he's got the like, he's got the voice for Leonardo. And I was watching the '93 one, and when Hero, uh like when when Claudio dumps Hero at the altar, that speech that Leonardo has afterwards, where it's like something something then you shall die like he's screaming at her i'm like why in my head can i hear palm again doing his fucking like horatio hornblower voice specifically for this speech but anyway rounding back around um i had to like you gave me an idea when you said jessica chastain and i was like okay but what if we put oscar isaac in i'm not in either benedict or don pedro because i think he could do both really spectacularly and you said that because i i thought of when you said about, like, have feelings for each other or have known each other for a long time, I was specifically thinking of scenes from a marriage because Jessica Chastain and Oscar Isaac were in that together. Specifically when they were at, it was, like, Venice, and they did that press-like line together, and they looked like they were in love despite the fact that they're both happily married. I was like, yes, I know the thing. They've also known- Yeah, I, I can see him doing Benedict because I think he has the snark to do Benedict, but I oh, could yeah. also see him being the, like, the Don Pedro part, like, the, the sort of benevolent kind of, mischievous because he's like don pedro's the one that's like let's set beatrice and benedict up like he's got a bit of a a kind of like mischievous about him and also i I would love to also see him do the the scene with don pedro and and beatrice where he says well will you have not me instead or whatever where he's like why don't you marry me and she says uh if only i could have another for everyday wear because you are you are too costly to wear it every day i love that scene that's one of my favorite little like scenes in the in the the text for whatever reason i think just because again it's because you don't get a ton of don pedro but you do get he's very much a character character he gets to do a lot of fun stuff but yeah i would love to see i just oscar isaac has played hamlet so we know he can do shakespeare i would love to see him do a comedy because like all of my exposure to oscar isaac has been in his like weirdo disney marvel comedy shit so i would love to see him do a a shakespeare farce
1: yeah, I think that Oscar would absolutely eat as specifically Jessica's um, Benedict. Specifically. Um, specifically, yeah. I can I didn't think of him first. If only because I really want to see like a total tone shift with Much Ado because I think it's been played very much the same no matter what you do. Um, yeah. So I, I'd like to see a tone shift, which is why I suggested Ray Fine as opposed to Oscar. But Uh, actually my nickname in undergrad was Don Pedro because I set up so many people you've told me about this (laughs) theater organization um so yeah that's I've always had a strong fondness for Don Pedro and if I were gonna be in a Shakespeare play it would only be Hamlet and only as Ophelia but I would make amendments just to play don pedro in a production of much ado um, oh yeah i have
0: one other one other idea that if i were gonna stage it in the same staging where i would stick paul mcgann in the role of leonardo i this might be because i'm watching too much tv to try to catch up before uh, we leave on our, our trip, which we will be on when this episode goes up. But my brain gave me the other day, I was thinking about the staging that I wanted to do and about how you would stage Don Pedro in that context. And my brain went to James Lance, who plays Trent Krim on Ted Lasso, which I, and I think it's probably just because, much like Paul McGann, he has that very like intense baritone voice. And I'm like, you could, you could bring the kind of heft that this role requires, but you also... If you if you're caught up on season three of Ted Lasso, you will know Trent Crim is a messy bitch, and so is Don Pedro. And I feel like James Lance could do that really well. <laughs> I I wanted to leave
1: off on maybe one last thing. I I I do think that this is the gold standard for the early rom com. Oh, um, yeah. this like in, in every single way, you see so many tropes return in from this play. So it's like being set up the whole that's the whole premise of how they get together. There's the um the former lovers. This is a second chance romance. Yes. So obviously I'm going crazy. It's also enemies/rivals slash to lovers. Um it's like I, there's so much going on here that gets repeated and brought back in not just a few rom-coms but I think in every rom-com and the 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 flow and structure of their relationship is so good. And it it saddens me because much Ado About Nothing does get the pass. Yeah. But so many rom coms that come after it that are using some of the things present here don't get the pass. And it's in at least for the main couple, um, because obviously Hero and Claudio have a little bit of like trouble. Claudio's a bitch. My, Claudio's a bitch. Um <laughs>
0: but yeah, I I this this play gets the pass. I and it's I sh- wanted it's to discuss that though, with you. Yeah. Because when ahead. I was watching it, I was thinking, well, because they conspired to get these two together because it's an outside force. And, like, I for whatever reason, I was thinking in that context, I was like, well, the, d- does it mean that they don't get the pass because they got together under, like, weird circumstances? Or because they were already harboring feelings and Don Pedro and everybody was just, like, basically doing the now kiss meme that I I thought I was like, does that complicate it at all? But re- I'm speaking it out loud. I'm thinking, no, it doesn't, you dipshit. But... The only reason they believe it so readily, and most
1: reportingly, is <laughs> because they have such feel- strong feelings for each other, and they think that the other doesn't like them anymore, and that's it. So that's the reason why it does get the pass. Obviously, heroine Claudio, he thinks that she's a whore because he was told misinformation. So, so it's outside, yeah, misinformation
0: online. Also because I cannot believe I forgot to bring this up. Can we talk about evil Keanu Reeves as Don John in The Brin on 2? Because that is the reason that I was obsessed with this movie in high school. Because if you have any sense about you, you will be in love with 90s Keanu Reeves. And there's something about, like, he's not doing... He's not keeping up the best with everybody else. Because it's very obvious that he is sort of struggling with this text more than everybody else. I think just because this is not the kind of thing that he was doing up to that point. Up to that point, he was doing, like, the Bill and Ted movies. But there is something so fun about watching Keanu Reeves be a bastard man. It's so funny. Literally a bastard man. He is a bastard. Literally. He was the original
1: bastard man. <laughs> <laughs> so, like his his um his Don um John is so gay. Um it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And you know what? The the one thing I will give the weed much ado is that it does recognize that don john and all of his cronies are fucking because oh, i yeah. think that in the whedon one uh the don john and the conrad are having sex or something Yeah, like, it's Ricky Linholm, yeah. in a relationship so yeah i was like i was like i knew it i knew it i knew it i knew it all along so <laughs> you know he can have that he can
0: have that he knows there's something sexual between don john and his yeah. his buddy his he evil did, like, buddy a he hey, he evil did- buddy Two things right in that adaptation, and I think that was more just the things that he understood. And I mean, but I, I guess even that's complicated. I mean, Whedon doing this play at all, doing a play that's so sexual at the core of it, is very much complicated by the sexual violence that he has committed. And so I think that's part of the reason why this maybe it's a it, it's it it's weird for me to watch it at all. Knowing that he thought he had a mastery of this text, and then realizing later, oh, that's why you thought that you had a mastery over this text the way that you did, because of the way you acted 10-15 years prior to that. But I I think, and I don't want to have the separate art from artist conversation, because I don't think Whedon fucking deserves that, but he did at least there were there were some things that he did right because we you know monsters can still make good art then but is there anything you wanted to say to sort of wrap up this first part of our of our Shakespeare extravaganza um
1: I quote Benedict's line there's a double meaning in that specifically the line read that Kenneth Branagh does of it at least once a week especially when I'm like in class um I'm obsessed <laughs> with that line and I think it's very much, I think even that line is a distillation of everything that's happening in Much Ado, which is like, you can't really know what's going on because your feelings are like clouding your interpretation of anything. And that's what I think makes it such a good rom-com. It's the original like horny rom-com. It's the original, I would even say like a precursor to The Screwball because I think the farce is like oh, The Screwball. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and I don't know, I'm obsessed with Much Ado About Nothing. I'm obsessed with Branagh's version of it. And I want Clark Gregg to do another version of this movie so that Please, he can like sir. You know, have his chance to shine as Leonardo
0: because he's perfectly casted as Leonardo. Um, and that's 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 all I have to say. So if you want to continue the conversation about this Shakespeare play or others, you can follow the pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at GetThePasspod, and on Letterboxd at the pod. If you want to follow me on socials, I am on Instagram at Maggie Rachel underscore, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L, on Twitter at Maggie underscore Rachel, and on TikTok at Maggie Rachel. If you'd like to follow me on socials, you can find me on Twitter at
1: with a hero and on Instagram at King of the Chess People. Next week. Um, As part of our part two of our Shakespeare series, we will be covering the 1990 film, A Midsummer Night's Dream, directed by Michael Hoffman, and starring, bear with me here, because there's a lot of couples in this, Anna Friel as Hermia, Dominic West as Lysander, Callista Flockhart as Helena, Christian Bale as Demetrius, Rupert Everett as Oberon, and Michelle Pfeiffer as Titania. And then we are pairing that with the 1999 film, uh, 10 Things I Hate About You, directed by Gil Junger, 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 um, and starring Julia Stiles Kateri- as Katarina Stratford and Heath Ledger as Patrick Verona. Do you have anything to say before we head out?
0: I am very excited to discuss these two because I think it'll be interesting to look at a historical adaptation or a period adaptation versus a modern reimagining, as obviously 10 Things I Hate About You is not using the uh, direct text of Taming of the Shrew, but I'm very excited. And if you have anything to say to us about this episode, please reach out. We might not see it because we will be in England seeing a version of Midsummer Night's Dream on our own. So we hope you enjoy this episode and we will see you next week.